0: As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norton Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment Advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Well, thank you as always to the Norden Group. I had the pleasure of running into Brent Cochran, our benevolent sponsor and overlord at um, uh, Point to Point uh, last week. Just wanted to thank them, of course, for all of their support. Uh, this is a special. Um, this is not your regular Sunday episode, as I'm sure you're aware. I don't know. I don't know when you'll listen to this, but this will not be a deep dive with Dan. This will be a it's deep an extra. dive. Well, it is an extra. And it's, it's extra special because it'll be a deep dive with my lovely wife, Tessa. Tessa, this is your third appearance on the podcast?
1: Yeah, I'm quite the celebrity now.
0: Yeah, every, everybody should know Tessa. She People like her more than me, um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I had a episode I did with Andrew a few weeks ago. I think Dan was in California, and we discussed the classification of cross-country bikes, how to buy a bike, got into that a little bit, and I promised you guys that we would develop a resource that would make it easier for you to kind of sift through the the opaque you know word salad that you hear all the time in the bike industry and find the right machine for you um i thought tessa would be a good resource for this because tessa is like a lot of you she's a uh, passionate and enthusiastic mountain biker who hasn't spent time in the bike industry and who i mean would it be fair to say that if you i gave you a check and told you to walk into a bike shop and buy a bike you'd be a little intimidated right
1: i would have no clue
0: Right. I think Pretty a much. lot of, well, a lot of people are like that. You know, you like riding bikes, but you don't necessarily speak bike. Well, and, and there's
1: like so many different bike brands and like versions and all the different things out there. So it's just kind of intimidating to know like where to go.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a little tricky. And so I promised you guys that I would, based on this kind of three class system that Andrew and I came up with, that we talked about and I'll run over again, but I've, I have a resource that I'm hoping is going to be helpful for you guys. Um, so with that said, Tessa, really quickly, why don't you introduce yourself as a writer, how long you've been writing, what equipment we're on right now, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. So I only just started writing when I met Joe, which was like after high school, it's been about like maybe seven years. Six now. and a half
0: years. So we, we met during our senior year, but it was yeah. in like the winter. And so you didn't really start riding until
1: yeah, so maybe six years summer is more of fair.
0: 2017. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I, I rode like every now and then, but I definitely wouldn't have called myself like, like a
0: mountain biker. A mountain
1: biker. Yeah.
0: Um, and now you ride multiple times a week, right? Like Yeah. I think
1: I'm at like two to three times a week. Yeah. Not which, week.
0: yeah. So it's, again, I kind of think you are like a lot of people um, uh, who listen to this. You know again with just like uh, the, the the enthusiasms there but you don't have the base of knowledge to really like advocate for yourself in a consumer yeah, you situation' mean I'm
1: not a bike nerd like you
0: Sure that's a probably more succinct way to put it. <laughs> um, really quick what equipment are we running these days Tessa
1: I'm on a Santa Cruz blur
0: Version three for those of you who are curious the previous gen blur which I think is one of the all-time great bikes um, and you've been on that for what since 2020?
1: Yeah about so three years three years yeah. three
0: years time, is it time for a new bike?
1: No, I really like my bike.
0: Yeah. You know what? I actually like that too. I, have I've, I've loved my new bike, but I do miss my V3 blur. Um, but that aside, um, I want to run over today how I would, you know, walk somebody through buying a bike because I get asked all the time. People ask me like, Oh, you know, you know, uh, looking for a new bike this season, what should I buy? Or what do you think of this bike? Those are the two questions I get all the time. And I love those questions, and I hate them. I love them because people are actually going out of their way to try and make a good decision, but I hate them because it's impossible to answer. Because, like, Tessa, I could tell you what bike to buy. I know you well enough as a rider. I know what you do. Right. Um, I could probably tell Dan and Jacob and Andrew man, I'd have a really hard time telling well, anyone else. You really
1: need to know the person. You need to know like yeah. their riding style, what kind of things they're looking for, what kind of writing they're doing. I mean, I'm not doing anything super rough and rugged, so I'm not going right. to
0: need... But you're also not racing that much.
1: Right, I'm also not racing, so maybe I don't need like a super... I don't know, speedy light bike, right? Okay.
0: Yeah. So if, if if you had to walk into a bike shop right now and say I wrote you a check for $6,000 and said, go buy a bike. Now you walk into a bike shop, like go buy a bike, here's your check. What would you do? Just off, off the bat.
1: I'd probably just get what I know and I'd be like, okay, maybe I'll get another Santa Cruz Blur or okay. maybe something similar. Like I've had a Juliana before, so i probably just kind of stick to what I know, but...
0: And it's interesting. I think that's an awful strategy because that's only a good strategy if you happen to be on a good bike now. Right. Like if you're riding a grossly inappropriate bike right now and you just go buy another one, like you're not necessarily... So like, and a lot of people do. I'm actually really glad you said that because a lot of people are like, oh, I've been riding and I'm not picking on Trek, but oh, I've been riding Trek bikes since the 90s. So I'm going to go out and buy a new one. I'm like, that's just not a really solid basis on which to flush your six thousand dollars down the toilet right Mm -hmm. not picking on track they make lovely bikes but um i think that there's a better way to do it and so i don't think tessa that you would have listened to that episode i did with andrew anyway so this is good i'll I'll kind of walk (laughs) you through it Um, well you've got to
1: call me out like that
0: no it's okay i mean like i i joke like jacob i don't think has ever listened to an episode of the podcast i
1: have listened okay i listen to the ones that i'm in
0: well, that's usually <laughs> how things go, um, but I kind of want to start wanted to start fresh for you here. So, what kind okay. of bike riding do we do? To, or what kind of mountain bike riding do we do? Cross country. Cross country. XC, Right. Um, but even within cross country bikes, there's a lot of nuance, and and you know, like a lot of people might not even know that we do cross country. A lot of people, I think, will walk into a bike shop and they'll go up to the person working there and they'll say, "I'm doing Nike. I need a bike." And the guy will say, "Oh, hey, we've got this great bike. This is a good all arounder. It climbs well, descends well." $8,000, here we go. Your mom swipes her credit card and you show up to practice on your Santa Cruz Nomad and have an awful time. Right? Yeah. You know, like so many kids in NICA. And it's like, I, I think all bikes are great. You can have fun on all bikes. But like, if you're listening to this, if you're on Maybird, cycling's a big part of your life and training's a big part of your life. And maximizing your performance in a race is important. And I've seen it so many times where the enthusiasm's there, the support's there, the talent's there, the physical abilities there, but the equipment lets you down. And yeah. it's the worst when it's expensive equipment letting you down. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, like,
1: I would push back on that a little bit. Like, even if you're not racing like me, I, I haven't done a race in a while. Yeah. It's important to get the right bike so that, one, you're comfortable. And two, that you're getting something that works well with what kind of riding you're doing.
0: Right. Because, like, if you were going to do a Formula One race and you showed up in a Ford Raptor for the car yeah. guys, right? Like, the Ford Raptor is a great truck right. for. Going really fast off road, but it's not going to be good in an F one race, right? right? And so, like, like you said, that's a really good point. Even for you, not racing, um, like if you showed up to Summit Park on your Santa Cruz Nomad, you're not having a good time either, right? Like you, you I mean, you've been in that situation before, right?
1: Yeah, my, I, I hope my dad doesn't listen to this. Your dad doesn't listen to this because I borrowed, his, I borrowed his bike one time, and don't, he's don't on a, He's on a specialized stump jumper. Stump
0: jumper FSR.
1: Yeah, and it is a big. It's a big bike,
0: 150 mil travel bike. I want to say.
1: Yeah, and I remember we rode it somewhere. We were where, quarry. Was it quarry? It was quarry. Yeah, and it was awesome for going down quarry because it just just it's a rolls over. Yeah, yeah it's a monster rolls truck. over those huge rocks and stuff. But I remember going up. It was like pushing and grinding, it, and it was just it was not a squishy. Yeah,
0: squishy and long. Yeah, and like...
1: just not a good experience. And that's probably because like not the right bike for me because I'm lighter not the right fit for me so just wasn't a good time
0: and yeah and and the bummer is like we're talking about bikes that cost thousands of dollars like a really almost like morally indefensible amount of money that we're spending on this sport right um and then the tricky part is in the past few years even cross country is not cut and dry because 10 years ago when i got into the sport cross country was cut and dry right all of the bikes had very similar geometry. None of them had complicated suspension systems. They all came with pretty similar components. Like it was really kind of coming down to like Cannondale's kind of different because it had the lefty, but like between Scott, Trek, Specialized had the brain. I guess that was different, but like all of the bikes were pretty similar. And these days there are bikes that are called cross-country bikes that I really don't think are are even cross-country bikes and they're cool. Right. But so this is why I came up with the system. I came up with a three class system, class one, class two and class three. And and the the easiest way to explain it is that class one bikes in my mind, and again, this is just a Maybird system. This is don't walk into a bike shop and ask for a class two. Okay. I have no idea are talking about. Right? They won't know what I'm. No, this is for. this is a Joe Draper system, and I think the industry wow, should adopt it. Wow, you need
1: it. to like copyright that. Yeah, for I, I, know, I really should. Huh? Joe Draper system. The Joe
0: wow. Draper system of classifying cross country bikes.
1: Yeah.
0: But in in my world, we're gonna call the hyper racy like like this bike is to get across the finish line as quickly as possible i'm racing every weekend we're gonna call that the class one bike and then we're gonna have up from that maybe sendier than that or bikes mm-hmm. with a little more suspension more we we say raked out kind of downhilly geometry that'll be class two and then class three bikes are really interesting these are bikes that like i don't know that they're cross-country bikes they're really okay. kind of light duty trail bikes, but they're marketed as cross country bikes. So, so if you walk into, so what, what?
1: Ambiguous.
0: Kind of ambiguous. I think. I think so. Like, I, I like if you walked into a Yeti dealer and said, "Hey, I want a cross country bike," they'll be like, "Oh yeah, the sb 120." And I'm like, "I don't think that's a cross country bike, but you know, Yeti kind of says it is, right?" This is
1: this might be a silly question. No,
0: there there really are no what, silly questions.
1: What makes something a cross country bike?
0: That is a phenomenal question basically in my mind it's that it's the bike that's designed to go fast everywhere mm-hmm. um you know so it's a bike that's going to be as as you know as light as possible and as efficient as possible for climbing but that's going to be able to get down reasonably technical stuff now none of these bikes even the most sandy ones are like going to be Downhill great in bikes. an enduro race
1: right right
0: okay. but you know like um there's really like like a you know I, I cataloged i'm kind of jumping ahead here but i cataloged all these bikes and at the two extremes we had like the previous generation Trek super caliber, which would be difficult to get down Quarry very quickly, in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, like people do it and they're very fast people riding these bikes, but like for just some average, you know, Oh, I've been riding two, three years, like sticking you on a super caliber and sending you down Quarry It's going to be pretty rough. Right. Right. If you're Bjorn Riley enjoyable. or Braden Johnson, maybe not, but for most people. And then on the flip side, the sendiest bike we had was like the Scott spark ST, which is 140 mils of travel up front, 120 out back, right. Mm. Or the Yeti SB 120. I keep picking on, those really are, are trail bikes in my mind, but they're marketed as cross-country bikes. And this is where things get tricky, right? So I, I have this this three-class system. And I think bikes fall into this, but I think riders fall into this too. So like I'll, I'll ask you, Tessa. Tessa, how often do you race bikes?
1: I don't think I've raced in like three years, to it's, been, be it's been a few,
0: not since COVID, I think, right?
1: No. And before that, I think it was pretty often. It was maybe a few times. A year, I did a few eye cups, okay. maybe a couple of midweeks.
0: And maybe in the future nothing crazy in the future it's you could conceivably race a bike again, right?
1: We'll see. Maybe. I maybe I don't know. Maybe. I mostly like just doing it for fun, but sure. I could I could race in the future, I guess.
0: Okay. So that's your kind of race and then I, I I'd kind of ask two questions. Like, what's your racing aspirations? And then the second side is like how advanced a rider do you think you are?
1: Oh, that's a tricky. Let, one. let me
0: put it this way: What is the most technical trail that you can ride comfortably?
1: Comfortably, comfortably.
0: Where you're not scared. You're like, this is easy. I've got this. Um, like, how do you feel descending the Temple Quarry Trail?
1: Quarry's pretty easy.
0: You can do Quarry. Yeah. How do you feel? I've taken you on the Crest before, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Taking you on the Crest. What's a What's another one? Like, um, getting down. Like, I'm thinking
1: of like Zen, but Zen, I can't you do, have do that easily. Zen. I have ridden it but it's pretty tricky for me and I have to get off a lot. So
0: Zen is like, you're doing a lot of walking. Like Zen's really Mm -hmm. like the edge. Anything more technical than Zen, you wouldn't ride. Right. Right. Great. Okay. So based on this, a class three bike would be wasted on you. Right. Right. And I don't mean that like in a mean way, like I I think until maybe a year or two ago, a class three bike would have been wasted on me. You're just not riding trails that.
1: I'm just not riding like crazy. Like like what's your
0: favorite ride? Like what are, where are you riding most of the time?
1: Mm, maybe like summit park,
0: summit park some corner Corny canyon, canyon Quarry, uh, shoreline early season Quarry,
1: shoreline like pcmr
0: pcmr like okay. jenny's
1: trail up there yeah okay
0: so we've we've got a rider here who is maybe gonna race in the future not really a racer um who is comfortable on most stuff at corner canyon like you've ridden jacob's ladder jacob's oh, yeah. ladder is kind of the limit of your tech you don't really like if something i more... wouldn't do
1: anything harder than that definitely
0: got it you're a class two rider right in my world you know you're somebody who's doing trails with a lot of climbing you want efficiency and everything but like you you really aren't going to be getting very much out of that class three exactly bike, right yeah. yeah so um and then i'll take like me like i like to race five or six times a year um when i race i really want to do well um but it's not like my whole world you know, right. and then on the flip side, I am trying to get into like riding big stuff. Like Jacob took me up to Brighton the other day, you oh, know? yeah, like,
1: saw
0: that. I like my favorite trail in St. George's Zen. I'm really liking the technical stuff. I want to push myself, do some high country riding. So I'm kind of a tricky one. I could maybe say, well, there's some class two, but I, I think I'm a class two rider as well, but, but maybe, maybe there's some class kind of, three, maybe yeah. in the future I could own. And you know what? If you have the money for two bikes, I would love to own a class one bike and a class three bike to really cater to my needs. But you I mean, should
1: see our guest room.
0: Oh, yeah, it's it's like my office. office. There's four bikes in there already. It's <laughs> just bikes. So, like, that's not an option for everyone. Right. right. Like, like, most people have one mountain bike, and yeah. that's very reasonable. I think in a perfect world, I'd have three or four, oh, boy. and then a couple road bikes and a gravel bike and all the other stuff, right? But, and Tess is rolling her eyes so hard right now because <laughs> she's a reasonable person. Um, but, yeah, so, like, most of you are class two riders, I feel comfortable saying. Now, class one is a tricky one. I think this is almost the most difficult one because, like, in doing this, I was cataloging all of these bikes, and I'm going to get to my research in just a second. But I was cataloging all of these bikes, and like most of the World Cup cross country bikes by num- my numbers are class two. Wow, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, I decided to catalog all of the cross country bikes you can buy today and their previous generations. So
1: he's got a lot of free time, basically. No,
0: I don't. I just had a slow week at work. <laughs> um, but so we have the new Scott spark and the old Scott spark. We have the new giant Anthem and the old giant Anthem, right? Wow. And most of class one ended up being previous generation cross country race bikes. Now there are a, a solid handful of current bikes that fall into class one. Um, and I'll run over this in just a second, but class one, I think is, is a few people. It's either people who are looking to race very seriously or real beginners, like, mm. and I'm thinking, oh. mom, you're riding with kids. You're going to coach an Ica team this year. You're not really comfortable on a mountain bike. You're kind of shaky, but Canyon Hollow's good and you can get back down. Okay. For you a class two bike, you're not going to get that much out of. You really don't need 120 miles of travel. Right. That Trek super caliber where I was saying, you know, like for a rider like me, I'm like, I just like, that doesn't suit my needs very well. Mm-hmm. Even though mom, you might never want to do a bike race ever, but a really lightweight bike that's going to feel nimble and agile, like cross country bikes do, um, might be a good bet for you. And then the kind of third category for class one are people looking for a deal. Cause like I said, right. Like, these are previous generation bikes. A lot of you are going to be like, Hey, I want to spend $2,000 on a carbon full suspension mountain bike. And in that case, I'm saying go to the pros closet, you know, shop used. Yeah. Right. And for these people, you're going to be looking at those previous generation bikes anyway. And there's like the old giant Anthem or the old Niner rocket have really steep angles, but by the numbers, the way my math works, they really fell into class one. So like, uh, you know, beginners, people looking for a deal. And then, you know, if you're Braden Johnson or if you're, you know, like Xander on the team or, or Tate or Isaac or those guys, you know, Gabe Norda, like they might want to say, Hey, you know, like I'm just focused on speed. I'm an amazing rider. I can get a Trek super caliber down a really technical trail really fast. They're going to be our class one riders as well. So
1: are the bikes in class one, they're not as good for super technical stuff is what you're saying.
0: Generally speaking. Yes. Okay. And, and now again, this is not a measurement of how well these bikes climb. This is right. just their descending capability. And so, yes, to preempt the question, there are bikes in class one that climb worse than bikes in class two and even class three.
1: Interesting. This does
0: not capture cl- And like climbing, like we can actually, and, and I I'll, I'll, I think this is a good time to jump into it. I can take numbers and give you a pretty good idea of how a bike is going to descend. Not what it's going to feel like, but how capable it is. So what is I Is that
1: just based on- like what?
0: So that's a uh, great question. Excellent segue, by the way. I have segue Dan beautifully all the time, and he doesn't appreciate <laughs> it. So I will appreciate you. Thank but you. I took every single cross-country bike, and I'm showing Tessa here. And, and, and really quickly, it's if you want to It's quite an
1: amazing spreadsheet.
0: It's an amazing spreadsheet. Go ahead and pause really quick. Um, go to Maybird.com, and then on the, on the far right side, you'll see a tab that says Resources. Scroll down a little bit. This will be the first resource. I've, I've linked this. So go ahead and pull this up and pause me. Give it a sec. Should we throw in a fun fact while they're pulling that up? Do you know that cows have like two or three stomachs? Wow. Yeah. I don't know know the exact Do you know giraffes'
1: tongues are purple so they don't get sunburnt because their tongues are out so much?
0: Really? Wow. Okay. Okay. Do you think people have the spreadsheet open? People have the spreadsheet (laughs) open. Okay. So um, you're going to see a tab that says start here. So go ahead and start there. And this is, we just went over this. This is the explainer of class one, class two, and class three. Read over that if you need, but really go over to this next tab, which is what bike should I look at? And under this tab, you're going to see every single cross country bike you can buy today in the United States, new, as well as the previous generation. And the numbers next to them are the years that these bikes have been out. So you'll see like, um, go down, you'll see, you know, the intense sniper T at the top of class two. That's been out since 2018. You'll see beneath that, the BMC four-stroke LT. If it's italicized and not bold, that's the previous generation. You'll see that was from 19 to 22, right? Now, what I did was I took all of these bikes and cataloged their front suspension travel, their rear suspension travel, their head tube angle, which is basically the measurement of like how far the fork sticks out in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then your uh, seat tube angle, wheelbase, stack, reach, and bottom bracket height, you really don't need to understand any of these numbers to get the most out of this. I'm kind of, I posted them there if you're interested, but what I did was I took all of these numbers and I found the average rear travel, the average stack, the average bottom bracket height. And then I found where each individual bike, like the allied BC 40, uh, how far, like what percentage different was its front travel from the median front travel. Mm -hmm. And then I, I basically, I changed the, I don't know what you call it, the magnitude of the numbers or whatever, Um, to make it so that they were all kind of comparable. And then weighted them so that front travel, rear travel, head tube angle, those had a really big bearing in the score. Seat tube angle, I wanted to throw in there because it's trendy, but I don't think it has that big a bearing here. So that was like less impactful. Uh, If people are curious about my methodology, they can reach out to me. I don't think most people need to know this. Basically, you want to look right next to all the bikes, you'll see a a column that says score. And this was kind of scored so that the higher the number, the sendier the bike. Wow. Is a good way to think about it. How did and you?
1: What equations did you use to do that? It's,
0: it got really hairy. It got that super hairy. That is
1: wild, Miles.
0: I know you'll want a phone call. I can explain it, and really quick, my methodology is not perfect. A and B. There, I've already caught mistakes on this. If you're looking at this and a geometry number is wrong, it probably is. Let me know, and I'll fix it. The data collection part of this took a long time, and most of it was by hand, and a lot of things...
1: Please go look at his
0: spreadsheet. Yeah, a lot of things might <laughs> be wrong. He so
1: much work into it. If wow. You, if
0: you catch anything that's wrong, let me know. But I've, I've, I've run over it. I think most of these are pretty good. So, so higher
1: the number, Sendier the bike?
0: Right. So the least Sendy bike that ended up on the list was the previous generation Trek Super Calibre that had a score of negative 1.36. And the Sendiest bike was the Scott Spark ST. It had a score of 0.83. Now... The most impactful numbers here were, were suspension travel, and I, I think that impacts a bike's sendiness the most. And then head tube angle. Also, I made I weighted head tube angle pretty heavily. Um, wheelbase is kind of ends up being a function of head tube angle in a lot of ways, so that one wasn't... I didn't weight that quite as much because we already weighted head tube angle. Stack reach again. I'm not going to go deeply into my methodology, but basically looking here, I, my hope is that you can say, hey, you know, my local bike shop carries the Giant Anthem and the Orbea Oys... Right, mm-hmm. I don't think any of them do. But that bike shop might be like, oh, yeah, these bikes are pretty similar. But you can really see, like, based on the geometry, the OIS is significantly sendier, right? How
1: did you, like, pick the bikes?
0: This is That's an interesting question. These are bikes that are at least marketed as cross-country. Oh, so they're just all
1: of. cross-country bikes this or marketed was, as it.
0: This was subjective. The Scott Spark ST is marketed as a trail bike, but it really is just a modified Scott Spark. So I want to include it. Because if you walk into Contender and say Scott Spark, they're going to show you the ST.
1: Right.
0: Now, the, the, like the, I keep going back to this Yeti SB120. It's really not a cross-country bike. Yeti kind of presents it as a successor to bikes like the SB115 and 100 that were cross-country bikes, right? So, um, like, you could totally poke holes in the way I chose this, to, or chose to do this. And, like, I should say, too, I could only really do bikes I could find geometry for. Like, uh, my little brother Jacob just bought the Jibe fully and he absolutely loves it. It's a great bike. Jibe, as far as I can tell, does not post num- geometry numbers for anything other than the 100 mil XC race version of that bike. So, like, that's the only one that I have, right? There's so,
1: limitations.
0: There's limitations to this. Yeah. It is not perfect. I'm not going to defend it as perfect. So,
1: don't just come at It's a cool me, tool.
0: Right? So, yeah. but yeah, so basically, and it kind of shows too that all bikes are a spectrum, right? Like, the newest Trek top fuel in the Orbea OEs are the kind of highest class two bike and lowest class three bike. Their numbers are fairly well actually that's a bad example because their numbers happen to be fairly far apart but like it's it's a spectrum right so like I think a better example would be the current specialized Epic and the old Yeti SB100 like their numbers are pretty similar, but one's a cross country, one's a class one bike, one's a class two. It also helps that like the Yeti has a totally different suspension system, right? So like there's going to be differences there too. But the idea is that hopefully you can, most of you are going to kind of have some bikes in mind that you're going to be looking at and that you can come in and look at this and say, oh, my shop is saying this, or my backcountry gearhead is saying this. And this is where these bikes fall numbers wise. And what I want you to do is say, look, I'm that class one rider, or look, I'm that class three rider. I'm that class two rider. And make sure that the bikes that you're looking at correspond there. That's the long and the short of it. It's really not that complicated. And then the next step is, is value, right? Because like, you know, Canyon and BMC will both sell you a cross-country full suspension race bike, and they might be pretty similar. The BMC is going to cost like twice as much for the same level of bike, right? And if you're really not familiar to bikes, the way that it works is, and I should say this too, that like all of this, like all of the geometry stuff is just based on the frame set. Right. So your Santa Cruz blur, Santa Cruz makes the frame. And that's basically it. You know, oh, like, yeah. I guess, like, I guess other they, they, maybe their handlebars and stuff. And, and increasingly, you know, like everything on Cannondale will be Cannondale branded. But like the frame is the only permanent part of the bike. Like on your bike, you broke the fork. So we replaced the fork. Right. You, know, you replace tires all the time, handlebars, drivetrains, all that stuff. Right. So when you're looking at geometry, my geometry sheet is just going to tell you what the frame set is going to be like, the permanent features of the bike. And sure, you can over-fork it, under-fork it. There's other things that you can do. But for the most part, a Cannondale scalpel is going to be a Cannondale scalpel in terms of the way that it rides and the way that it climbs and the way that it descends, right? Mm. The other half of buying a bike is what components does it have, right? Right. Um, And this is where, like, I don't really think we have time today to go into it, but you have, like, within Shimano, you have... Dior your components slx xt and xtr components right as you, you spend more money you get lighter components that might work a little better mostly just weight savings these days but like um one you know like you could spend five thousand dollars on a canyon that's going to have carbon wheels and a carbon bar and all that stuff and you could spend that same five thousand dollars on a bmc that has sim and I'm, I'm picking up they're lovely bikes they're just kind of overpriced i think Um, you know, like, uh, I'd, I'd ride one if I was a doctor, right? They're super, super cool. But, you know, again, you're going to spend $5,000 on a BMC that's going to come with, you know, SLX and the Canyon you spend $5,000 with for might come with a mix of XT and XTR. Right. right? So this half is supposed to kind of be, you know, like you first decide what are some bikes that I should look at, right? What are some bikes in my range? And then maybe look over here and say, well, you know, like I'll keep picking on Canyon. We'll say, Canyon, you know, like, oh, that bike's really great, but like Canyon's out of stock because that's the problem with Canyon all the time, right? Is Mm. there aren't actually Canyon bikes out there. They're like hypothetical bikes a lot of the time, you know, where you're buying a bike that's not gonna show up for eight months. That's the downside of that business model, Mm. right? Or we have BMC dealers here in the the form of contender bicycles, but if we didn't like, oh, I don't have a BMC dealer. I can't. There's not a practical way for me to buy one, right? Kind of find that short list of like, these are bikes that fit me um, in terms of the kind of riding I'm looking to do. These are bikes that my local dealers sell. And then from there, go into here and say, okay, well, um, I'm looking at an IBIS XC, and they've got the one that has XT with the carbon wheel upgrade. And then I can say, okay, well, you know, that bike costs $9,393, and the relative value score is this, right? And, And really quickly, and I've already done an episode on this, I basically went and said... An XT derailleur is worth this much. An XTR derailleur is worth this much. These kind of carbon wheels are worth this much. And these kind of aluminum wheels are worth this much. And I gave each bike a quality score, right? And the higher the number, you can see if you're looking at this next tab under what bikes are the best deal. If you kind of, you might have to scroll over a bit. There's a bright green column that says quality, right? Now, the problem is like you could have two bikes that are both the same quality, but one costs a lot more, Is that just
1: how much it is versus like how good? Yes. Oh, okay exactly
0: right okay and then basically i did it in this kind of funny way to do it but i have do- dollars you're spending per quality point right
1: interesting so this is i
0: actually think this is interesting like so we'll go back to canyon bmc again b- both lovely bikes i have oh. things i like and don't like about both but you know and I could it, maybe pull up an example over here. Let's go to... And if you scroll over, there's a bunch oh, of tabs.
1: equals better value? Let's
0: say full suspensions between eight and $9,000. Because the way the math works, cheaper bikes are always better value, but that's not a great way to look at it. Most of us have an amount of money we want to spend, right? So if we look here, let's say... Okay, so the best value in this category was the Orbea Oise. Now, I should say really quickly, this value guide was created six months ago. A lot of... Like, there's a new Oise out. Does app, it change that right? much? Uh, kind of. You know, it's like the prices usually go up over time. Um, it's it's more that like, if, if you're looking at this, I guess there are two notes we'll get out of the way. One, a newer version of the bike might be out. The oh. version you're seeing in the value guide might not have ended up on the geometry guide. Um, I should also say the value guide includes hardtails. I didn't include hardtails in the geometry guide because like a hardtail is a hardtail, you know? Right. Like some have really drastic geometry, but like even on those, you could throw different components on them and they'd be cross-country raceable. I didn't feel like spending the time to do hardtails because I just don't think there's as much value. So if you look here, it's got hardtails and full suspensions. And again, some of the data is out of whack. Uh, Well, not out of whack, but old, right? But like, if you look here, we could see, you know, we'll use Canyon and BMC again because that's just such an easy example, right? Two kind of Germanish bike brands that make similar bikes but like canyon has the direct seller method of getting you the bike that's a lot cheaper bmc is like a really high-end you know like uh for doctors and lawyers and google executives kind of bike right and so like the idea or if you're not
1: responsible or if you're
0: not or if you're me (laughs) or if you have a high limit on your credit card either way um so this kind of again kind of catalogs like you know, like, the Canyon and the BMC might have the same quality. Like, on the racetrack, they're going to be just about as fast. both mm-hmm. But, like, the BMC just costs more, right?
1: Cool. And so
0: this whole thing hinges around this one number. And you'll kind of see, if you scroll over a little bit, dollars per quality point. And obviously, you want that to be as low as possible, right? For the same quality, if you're getting a bike that is, you know, has 100 quality points, you want to pay 5000 for it instead of 7000 for it, right? Again, this is not perfect. You know, like, this does not capture, like... I just really like the way that DW link bikes ride. So I like a pivot more than a Canyon because the Canyon's kind of a more basic suspension system. That's fine. That does, this doesn't capture that. Right. This is just to give you an idea of like, Hey, if you like, like this bike, that's great. Just so you know, there might be some better value options out there. Right. Right. Um, really to buy a bike, like you should test ride a whole bunch and do all that. But like, I don't think most people do that. And I really don't think that the majority of people who are going to use this resource and who need this resource are like really attached to a particular brand or suspension system yet. Right. And by the time they are, I kind of think you'll have the know-how. So this really is, is intended to just kind of be a helpful thing for you to be like, Hey, you know, like, okay, okay. What bike should I look at? You know, I'm I'm that class one rider. I really want this one. This is going to be my big race here before I go on my LDS mission. Is one we see all the time, right? Like I'm going to have this big old year where I'm going to do all the racing. I want a class one bike. So you're like, okay, you know, I've got some money to spend. I should be looking at the Trek Super Caliber and the Canyon Lux CFR and the Cannondale Scalpel and the Pivot 429 World Cup build. Like all of those, right? And then the idea is that you can go over here and again it's not perfect. A lot of the bikes from the new guide are going to be missing on this. You can kind of look and say like, okay, you know, like that scalpel is a fairly good deal. Wow. That Canyon's a really good deal. You know, I'll look at that and like, Ooh man, you know, that pivot's not a super good deal, but then maybe you read on the pivot, like that's kind of the bike I'd buy right now. You know, Mm. even though the value's not great, like, like value doesn't have to be everything, but I wanted to have it here just so people can like, you know, I, I hate to it's see... a good
1: thing to like base your decision off of because right. it gives you some sort of insight into okay am I spending way more than I could be or, you know, is this going to be the right fit for me? Or Maybe. am I
0: getting the most bike for my money? Like, I right. hate it. Like, don't buy the first bike you see at the first bike shop you go to. because you don't could. necessarily
1: buy the most expensive bike. Like,
0: that's Sure. Not, yeah. But if you have $6,000 to spend, I think you should be getting a bike with really killer components. And you know what? Like, I don't really believe in buying, like... And this is... We could totally disagree on this, and it's kind of different in the bike world... You know, like a lot of people say, don't go to a luxury car brand and then buy their cheapest model, buy the nicest model of a normal car brand, right? You know, like I think the same kind of applies in the bike world. You know, like if you're looking to spend four thousand dollars, maybe stay away from Ibis and BMC. If you're looking to spend twelve, go for it, right. right? But like, I think with a lot of these brands, it's kind of a shame to be getting low end components just so you can have a really name brand frame now. The flip side argument is, like, with a pivot, I think you should because there's actually something in that frame. Like, their manufacturing process is better. And that's why, like, this shouldn't replace you doing your homework. This is a supplement to it. Right? Right. So um, – and that's really it. Like that's the, you know, kind of basically go through those first, these two tabs here. Which bike should I look at, and which bikes are the best deal, right? And then again, if you scroll to these other tabs, my idea is that if you can say, oh, I'm looking at a hardtail, oh, I'm looking it at a full has suspension. like a price range, and the, and again, because the way the math worked with this, and then like I can explain again if you want to know, but really like the way that the math worked, lower end bikes always ended up being a quote unquote better deal. But that doesn't mean that you should just buy the cheapest bike possible because. A $1,000 Cannondale Trail 6 Hardtail versus a top-of-the-line S-Works Epic, like, the Epic is enough better that most people are like, yes, I understand. Like, it's a $10,000 bike. It's going to be better right. right now. Again, just the way my system works, you know, cheaper bikes are, quote, better value. But I don't think that's how most people approach, you know, uh, buying a bike. and think, like, I have this much money to spend. I'm roughly in this zone. And then once you're in that zone, you can be like, okay, well, for your seven to $8,000, you know, like, if you look at this guide, um, you know, like the revel range is a great deal. Actually the Ibis X ended up being a great deal, but you know, like, man, that BMC four stroke for what I'm paying, isn't a super good deal. Right. Right. And I did do my best to be like, you know, like Ibis, I give them points for having DW suspension, you know, like I think that's worth something, you know, I think if you just hang an XX one derailleur on a garbage bike, you shouldn't win this. Right. So I tried to make it so that I added bonus points for Pivot for having Amazing carbon fiber. I added bonus points for IBIS for having a killer suspension system. I gave Trek bonus points and Orbea bonus points because you can get custom paint. I think that's worth something, right? So you can 100% poke holes in this. And I'm not dissuading you from buying, you know, that BMC, but I think you should just be aware. Because, like, if the BMC is the bike you're excited about and your favorite pro rides a BMC, go buy a BMC, dude. But, like, that's awesome. I, I 100% support right. that. But, but you also be informed. Know that, yeah. Like, you know, maybe uh, another one of your favorite pros rides a giant Anthem. That bike's way better value, you know, for the same speed, right? So something to consider. Um, I will say I will dissuade you from buying the wrong bike. I don't care if you overpay for the right bike, as long as it's the right bike or one of the right bikes. I really don't want to see all the work being sunk into a class three bike that you just aren't really going to get much out of. So uh, with that being said, are there any points I should run over? Anything you think I'm missing?
1: I don't think so. I think you pretty much covered it all. Cool. Okay. I mean, this spreadsheet is quite something. It looks, yeah, it looks like it would be really helpful.
0: It's real nerdy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Please consult this. And then I also want to put out there, if you would like help with this, um, uh, text or email me. Probably actually, um, probably text me. My phone number is 801-671-5412. I'm happy to help you with anything. If you want to buy a bike, I will probably want to schedule a phone call with you. It's a lot of data to go over. If you're just asking for a tire recommendation, which bottom bracket you need, we can handle that over text. Um, I would like to put myself out there as a resource as well. And I'm not doing this to like get people off my back and get fewer questions. I would just love if there was some, if you could come to me and be like, this is the kind of rider I am. This is the kind of money I have to spend. I've looked at your value guide. But within that, what do you think about the allied BC40 versus just getting a Santa Cruz blur that I could get a little quicker? I'd love to answer those questions. You know, like I really can't answer what kind of bike you should ride because I, 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 this team is so big. I don't even the people, you know, like Amy Larkin, I've been working with Amy Larkin for years with Maybird with her. I maybe know enough to make a good recommendation, but even then I'd kind of be asking her the same questions. Right. Um, so like, I, I don't know anyone other than myself well enough to really make like that great educated decision. So right. go through this sheet, uh, at least take a look at it. Um, again, I spending six, seven thousand dollars on a bike and a lot of people twelve or thirteen thousand dollars on a bike. I totally think it's fair game to get that in person consultation, but there are some questions that you're just going to have to answer for yourself, you know. Um, so again, go to mabird.com if you haven't already under resources, click on that, scroll down should be the first thing. Click on that link there and then yeah i'd love to have some consultations with people probably later on in the season i don't think anybody's really shopping for bikes right now. And we will do another presentation uh, early next year, probably a Zoom meeting for the new riders to run over this. So this isn't the last time you hear about this. Uh, But yeah, make good choices, spend your money wisely, ride safe. Be informed. And be informed. Thanks, everybody.